0: In part three of this special mini-series, focusing on the historic sailing of the Mayflower from our shores to America 400 years ago, we focus on the heartwarming story known in every American home to this day as Thanksgiving. After a gruelling 66-day journey at sea, the Mayflower and its passengers finally reached the New World, November the 21st, 1620. They suffered terribly from sickness, and by the end of the first cruel winter, 50 of the 102 passengers had lost their lives. However, the settlers soon built a strong relationship with the native Indian Wampanoag tribe who taught them to hunt and grow crops. And in the autumn of 1621, a bumper harvest was achieved and a three-day feast was celebrated, which to this day is known as the first Thanksgiving. Just before Thanksgiving a few weeks ago, I met up with two American chefs, Jerome Grant and Justin Walker. Chef Jerome is executive chef at Sweet Home Cafe at the National Museum of African American History and Culture and Chef Justin, Executive Chef at Walker's Main. Both flew over as part of the Thanksgiving Culinary Diplomacy Programme in partnership with the US Embassy in London, and began their tour in Rotherhithe, where we met up. Later that afternoon, after a Sunday roast at the famous Mayflower Pub, I caught up with them to find out what Thanksgiving means to them today. I'm Steve Lazarus, and this is your London Legacy. So, I'm delighted to have on the podcast today, Justin Walker, Executive Chef. Is that, have I given you the correct That is correct. The correct title? Thank you of, for having me. That's no, it's an absolute pleasure, and welcome to London. Yeah, thank you. Uh, how's your trip so far? It's been great. Um, yeah. It's been really great, yeah. So, I'm... Um, Thrilled that you're here because I know you're uh, a little bit jet-lagged, perhaps. A little bit, a little <laughs> bit, yeah, but it's okay. We're doing just fine. But you're, but you're coping well. You've still got a smile in your face, oh, yeah. despite the, uh, the taxi journey we yeah. just had from, oh, yeah. from Rotherhithe.
1: A great meal helped that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Justin is uh, an executive chef from Maine in America, and you're over here on a special mission, which we're going to touch on touch on it a little bit just tell us a little bit about your your background first as a chef and how you got into the cooking scene
1: yeah so um i just i fell in love with food i think i was sort of born into it my grandfather uh was a cook for the u.s army during uh, world war ii and uh, when i was a kid i would spend every holiday um, including thanksgiving uh, preparing the meals and i just loved food and um uh became an athlete. It was a, a high level ski racer in America oh, wow. and uh, found cooking as a way to help fund that. Um, and I realized very early on that, that I wanted to be a chef and uh, I was a little, a little scared to tell my parents that that's what I wanted to do, but uh, they were massively supportive. And why would you be re- scared of telling them that?
2: Well, I think surely that I'm dating being a skier. myself
1: and aging myself <laughs> a little bit, but you know, back then it wasn't uh, quite as mainstream and as... As a looked upon profession as it is today, and I, I, I wasn't sure if they would be supportive, but they were, you know, massively supportive from mm. the beginning, and and um, and I, you know, I fell in love with it, and and you know, here
0: we are. So, what's what, what's formal training did you have before you became a chef? So what, what was started, your route into yeah, running your I started own restaurant? Started cooking
1: when I was really young, um, and uh, when I was still in junior high school. And so I spent all the summers when I was out of school cooking in restaurants. And uh, because I was a ski racer, I went to school for that. Unfortunately, cooking schools don't don't have a ski team. <laughs> um, but uh, once I realized I was done with the racing, I went directly from business school right to culinary school. And I was there for about nine months.
0: Where, where, out of interest, where did you go skiing? Was that in the States or did you uh, yeah, travel? Yeah, in, in the
1: United States, I was uh, in Lake Placid, New York. Uh, right. I lived in New York at, at the times where I grew up. And um, I uh, I raced out of a, a private school in Lake Placid, and then again in college in Vermont.
0: Okay, you stopped. You didn't go beyond that level into sort of international uh, no, competition. No, I did race internationally. Oh, you um,
1: did? Yeah, I mean it, it's one of those sports where at 17 years old, if you haven't made the U.S. ski team or made the Olympic team, you're sort of done. Um, and I was fine with that. You know, I, I skied a couple of years in college, and, and it was a wonderful experience, and I wouldn't change it any of it. Excellent. So it's
0: a hell of a different job from being a skier to working it, it in the kitchen. It isn't.
1: It isn't. You know, I, I've I've gotten a couple uh, hard-fought job uh, opportunities because of my ski racing background. Believe it or not, because being an athlete, you know, requires, especially at that age, requires a lot of uh, work ethic and and you know and whatnot. And I've you know, there's a lot of chefs that that were athletes in their former. Previous lives, and I think uh, we look at each other. When I see those, when I see people like that, I definitely gravitate towards them. So because of the discipline side <coughs> yeah, of having to being disciplined and just being able to work hard and push yourself and be mentally strong and physically strong, you know, doesn't necessarily make you a great chef, but it certainly helps uh, when you're learning.
0: Yeah, I'm a big fan. I don't know if you have it in the states. I think you do. Master Chef, the uh, program. Master Chef. Oh yeah on, of course, yeah, on telly. Yeah. yeah. In fact, I had the, a couple of the finalists on the on the show a couple, oh, wow, of, couple of months back. Very cool. Uh, yeah, Billy and uh, Jack, if, you, if you're listening. <laughs> 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 good, good guys. And it, it is physically demanding as yeah. much as anything else, oh, yeah. apart, apart from the skills of actually the culinary of skills course, and, of of and knowledge of the the ingredients and everything. Yeah. Being physically physical attributes to get up early and do your prep and standing yeah. on your feet and bending over and all oh, that sort yeah. of
1: stuff. It's tough. Definitely a thing. Yeah. So
0: skiing, I'd never have thought of it in those, those terms. Oh yeah. Being an athlete has uh, yeah, a big I part mean, to play. It's,
1: it does. It, it matches it perfectly actually.
0: Yeah. So what's been your route to where you are today as the executive chef of uh, your own uh, yeah, restaurant? So,
1: um, you know, I moved to Maine after college, um, and, uh, I met my wife and, uh, 2000. And funny story, we, she uh, was a waiter. I was a cook. And you know, um, I don't know if it's the same here. But in America, cooks tend to make a lot less money than the waiters do. And so she never realized that until we were together and and felt like, uh, you know, like she should uh, do something cool for me. So for my birthday, she bought a trip to London. And so uh, we'd only been dating a few months, but we came over here that winter and, uh, you know, it was a, a massive, you know, uh, amazing food experience. And so that was your to, first time to, to my England, very England and first, the first time, to London. time to London. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And well, what sites did you take in? what did you we do? We did the, did the you classic, know, the usual?
1: you know, the Tower of London, uh-huh. the, the Natural History Museum. But I remember all of it. I remember being blown away by how much older this country is than America. And also the food at the time, I think, was more just what I was really interested in, you know, the the very cl- classically French trained British chefs, and you know, of course, Marco Pierre White and mm. and whatnot, being a hero, you know, it was um, it was really fun. Mm. I, I remember almost everything I ate, which is twenty something years ago now.
0: Because for many years, I mean, when I was growing up as a kid, the the food concept in London, particularly, was it didn't compare to food on the continent for, for France and Paris, for example, and Italy. We had a very poor reputation. And it's only, I think, in the last 20 years, perhaps, that the, the standard of food and cuisine has gone up a notch. Yeah. And I re- mean, being recognized for having some of the top, you know, restaurants and yeah, chefs in the I world. Yeah, I
1: mean, I think, you know, honestly, I rem- I don't remember exactly all the places we ate at. I do remember having a spectacular Chinese meal. Uh, I think it was a fairly fancy Chinese restaurant. In Chinatown um, in London? I don't or? believe so. Yeah. I, you know, honestly, this, I can't quite remember, but I remember the experience. I remember being blown away. And then, of course, we went to a few Marco Pure White restaurants, a uh, Nico Ladien restaurant. Um, I think it was his daughter. Daughter and him had a restaurant at the time. And uh, I just, I mean, I can remember some of the dishes I had. They really were inspirational. Um, and still to this day, I think mm. about it, yeah.
0: So what stage in your career were you when you came here to London? Was it, did, did that I was
1: I was the sous chef, chef de cuisine of one of the top restaurants in the U S at the Mm -hmm. time, a restaurant called arrows restaurant in Maine. I think it was in the top 10 in the country, um, had its own garden. Um, you know, very, very thoughtfully sourced product, incredibly detailed food. Um, and we put in a lot of effort into making that food. And so I was very much sort of in my sort of fancy pants cooking stage. Um, but I spent 15 years in that particular restaurant and of course that's where I met my wife. So, Mm -hmm. um, so she was front of house in that yeah, restaurant. Yeah, we had just met. She was going to school for pre med. Uh, she wanted to be a, a veterinarian, and she was going to school in University of Rochester in Rochester, New York. And um, you know, it's whole world away from my my thinking. Incredibly intelligent and and beautiful. And we met, and she was coming back for one more summer because she was from that area. Um, and we met, and sort of the rest is history. And we both uh, started Walker's Maine together uh, three years ago. But we've worked together. We worked together for ten years straight, and then we had a, a, a son. and She took about a year off, and then we spent another seven years together after that. So, it's been uh, it's been quite the thing, quite the road.
0: Yeah, sounds amazing. So, tell us a bit about the restaurant you run now. Well, yeah, so the, main, so you know, I think for you, were tell- us, you were telling me before yeah, we went live that it was yeah. a place not doing so great at the time. Yeah, so
1: it was a well. It's interesting. It was a restaurant that was known for. You know, uh, it was essentially like an art gallery that had food, and and it had really, I think, really good food. And this is even before I lived there. But it was it was a cool place. It had cool art. The walls were all white. You know, the chairs were mismatched. And this is going back a long time now. Of course, now the restaurants are designed to look like
0: They're that. Yeah, shabby-shake. Um, yeah, and at
1: some point, you know, it, it took a left turn and became more of a sort of classic old-style main restaurant. And... Um, you know, I live, I drove by it probably a million times in the last 20 years. And, uh, when we thought about doing something, we were going to build and it became a little bit too expensive. And this was for sale and being four miles from our home and our farm, um, you know, being closer to our son was really the, the point of doing a restaurant on our own. And it just sort of, all the pieces fell into place and, and we renovated and, you know, we put in a huge 12 foot, uh, hearth my wife and I have traveled. Um, over the course of our relationship, a bunch of times, we rented a house in Von Romane in, in Burgundy on a budget. You know, this is, uh, it was on a shoestring budget back then. But we uh, rented this house and it had a wood a fired fireplace in the kitchen that was like hip high. And I always thought, God, I want to have one of those in my restaurant someday, and if I ever get one. And so that's what we built, but it's 12 feet long. It's massive. Sounds so wonderful. must be lovely in the winter. That. Yeah, it's great
0: when the snow's piling up outside it's
1: coming it's just got cold and yeah it's gonna be a thing Maine is mean is uh it gets
0: chilly in the winter it does it's yeah. a
1: tail of two you know it uh, has two tails it gets really hot in the summer really cold in the winter
0: yeah sure. we we main when it drops below about sort of 15 degrees here in london oh, you yeah. we think we're freezing yeah yeah, yeah. If we, no, we haven't pretty, seen anything yet pretty, i have a
1: t-shirt on here today, <laughs>
0: so. mind you you're an ex-skier so i mean you should be <laughs> yeah, used to the cold exactly. weather exactly yeah so you're running this very successful restaurant over in maine how did you get involved in this, what do they call it, this diplomatic culinary expedition yeah, I mean, it, that you're doing it, it, to celebrate Mayf- Mayflower 400, which is what we're here for after all. Yeah, celebrate. I mean,
1: so I'm not from Maine. My wife is, um, she is, she traced her her lineage back to uh, Devon, England. Yeah. Um, and she, that's 16 generations. They came, the last, the last of the family came over in 1627 to the Portsmouth area and they settled in Maine. And uh, the farmhouse we live in is 1740. So h- food history, history has, has really been a big part of her family. And sort of by lieu of of marriage, it's become a big part of, of, of sort of my, uh, my history and my, and, and my family. So I really enjoy the idea of... Passing traditions, and that's sort of what this is designed to, to start the conversation about.
0: Mm. So how did you get involved specifically with this project? Did you have to, did you, were you approached to come on yeah, this thing? Yeah, so a, f-
1: a friend who's an amazingly prominent chef, Mary Sue Millican, again, a childhood hero, one of the first TV chefs, but never lost sight of her mission and, and, and their love of food and cooking. Um, I met her several years ago doing fundraisers for um, a childhood hunger charity in America, and uh, we hit it off and sort of sort of tried to stay in touch and she uh, they she recommended me for somebody that could sort of shed the light on one of the oldest parts of America and sort of how the meal has progressed mm-hmm. into modern, you know, sort of modern society.
0: So what's your itinerary whilst you're here so this is put on through the American Embassy it in is, this country. Yeah, yeah. And they've selected two chefs. Yes. You're the first one we're talking to today. Yes, yes. There's another one to follow shortly. And you're going to be doing some sort of tour of the country. Yes, yeah, so taking I mean, your cooking around.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, we've been here just a few hours, and yeah. we've already seen, you know, uh, one of the places the Mayflower docked. We had the, the the Sunday roast, which was spectacular, and um, you know, we've got to learn a little bit of the history of of, of what's happening this yeah. year and how important it is. Um, so yeah, so we're 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 teaching, we're 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 learning, we're cooking, uh, we're we're helping out, we're we're donating, we're doing all kinds of, yeah, sh- of really cool fantastic. Stuff, yeah. So just
0: to restate for the listeners, the uh, we're entering the year of the Mayflower 400, which is celebrating 400 years when the Mayflower set sail to uh, to America, and the Pilgrim Fathers settled settled there. And I think half of them died. I think within the first year of settling, and I think the following year they had a healthy harvest, and that's what. Became yeah. what you now call Thanksgiving, of course. Yeah, yeah, which is a huge. It's bigger in America than than Christmas, I believe. Is it? Was yeah, that, I mean, it is.
1: It? It's because you know, it's not about the giving thing. You know, it's really about the meal, and and it, not unlike the Sunday supper, or excuse me, the Sunday roast we mm-hmm. just had. You know, where it's 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 the meal is sort of it's not secondary, but it's really about. It's really about sitting around at the table and, you know, everybody's so busy now, especially in modern society and certainly in modern America. We, nobody wants to sit still for more than a minute. And, uh, you know, it's really the time of year, even if you don't cook, even if, you're, even if you don't sit down, you do do it and you make it happen. And, you know, um, what we're sort of talking about here is, you know, uh, sort of a modern family in one of the oldest parts of the country, of our country, doing Thanksgiving and, and doing it like really well you know, putting the effort into sourcing the ingredients, picking the right turkey, making sure it's it's sustainably raised, making sure it's special, and really putting some effort into the meal. Um, doesn't necessarily mean it needs to be complicated or tricky or, you know, um, you know nothing really comes. Everything, everything takes time, and, and the meal does take all day, but that's really part of the tradition, I think, is, you know, being really thankful for the thing, for being able to provide a meal and and enjoy each other and do you think people
0: understand that americans understand and remember the history and the heritage of the thanksgiving meal or it just become like one you know, of the everyday I life i
1: didn't think they did and you know i worked in obviously worked in restaurants and one of the things we put down in sort of our ethos when we opened our own restaurant was we weren't going to be open for thanksgiving um and you know i spent a decade or more cooking Thanksgiving dinner for guests. And, and it was always a special day. I always really enjoyed it. I loved the food. I loved the process of the day. Um, but, you know, it was really hard work. Um, but I always said, uh, if we ever have our own place, we can afford to do it. I'd like to spend time and volunteer and give back a little bit. And, oh, use and so for the last, I don't know now, it's been a quite a while, we've been volunteering at a, a local um, church and a local um, Uh, A charity called the Pilgrim Project in Maine, and you know Maine, where we live, is is not poor. You know, it is it is seemingly a a pretty middle class or upper upper middle class situation, but you know we serve 300 meals on wheels and 350 dinners at this church, and of course it's it's all for the community. So when I first went, I, I just was blown away you know, I couldn't believe uh, the community of people helping was amazing. They had incredible uh, product to serve people. Um, they were missing some things like really nice fresh vegetables um, and um, and just a little bit of sort of horsepower and, and making it a little easier. And so that's where I sort of came in and I helped a friend of mine. Uh, we donated a couple hundred pounds of green beans the first year. And then one of one of our business partners donated a bunch of turkeys. And then my son came and my wife came, my mom came, we're all helping and realized that this is what thing Thanksgiving is all about. So now in our household, you know, the day before and the day of Thanksgiving are spent volunteering, and we have dinner around six or seven o'clock at night.
0: And and you think people can actually, obviously, it's it's you volunteer, which is a wonderful thing to do. But you think people then mentally can trace it back to the heritage. To I, the, think, to the I, think, the I think I think it, it just
1: there's no question when you put. Yeah, I think that the I think the meal is special, mm. and I think regardless of your financial situation, you want to spend that meal together and I and the group of volunteers are, are not are amazing because we have this thing where none of us eat the food we won't eat the food if the food's not for us the food is for these people that need need it and and the people have a great time they're thankful for it they're happy they don't feel um, you know down or they're dressed up they you know and so I feel like the meal has everybody remembers that day what that meals for but when you see it in that sort of light, um, it really does kind of drive it home.
0: Hmm. So, what does a typical meal look like? Thanksgiving meal?
1: Well, I mean, you know, I like to keep it simple. So, I like you got to have mashed potatoes. <laughs> um, in our modern household now, we 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 do spend quite a bit of money on our turkey. We 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 buy something that's really special. You know, heritage, never antibiotics. Um, you know, and it is incredibly delicious. Mm-hmm. So we really spend a lot of time with that. So we have, and we like to make uh, a really simple stuffing. Um, I love to do roasted squash cause this time of year is the harvest in Maine for winter squashes. So we, we, we save those. Um, my wife grows these beautiful heirloom, true heirloom pumpkins. So that's one of the things we really try to do is for Thanksgiving, we try to use all heirloom, true heirloom vegetables. They're spectacular called Godiva pumpkins. They're beautiful and they're green. They're not orange. So we put that in our stuffing we forage mushrooms um at the end of the fall and uh and preserve them for the meal um and sometimes we do cranberries we have a a cranberry bog that was planted in the 40s 30s or 40s at the farm that we live on and every other year it's a cranberry year so every other year we have a a cranberry accompaniment with our turkey but um since my wife and i have been married um I, i made a dish for her back when we were dating it was just kale and bacon and uh and onions and and she's has to have it every meal so we have it thanksgiving and we have it christmas (laughs) and so it's it's like that's become your family tradition that's become our family tradition we grow now we grow the kale and we we uh we freeze it and preserve it we have our you know kale from our garden um so it's all it's about like we start planning it like you know january the year before with seeds and and all of that. And then to have that meal is just really special. And
0: what about dessert? What do you have?
1: Dessert? I tell you, we have an amazing bakery. I, I love apple pie. So for me, apple pie um, is, the, is the, the thing. And um, so there's an amazing bakery in York, Maine that produces the most special apple pies. So we, we always get an apple pie from them. I've made it. We've made apple pies in the past, but I have to have apple pie, I guess, is the thing. Uh, But also another tradition is we have we have lots of I think Thanksgiving is really fun for sort of found family, I guess we call it. So, you know, being in the restaurant business, we have some people that work for us um, that live on the West Coast. And sometimes it's hard for them to get back for Thanksgiving. So we have a a particular person that um, has been almost every Thanksgiving, I think, for over 10 years now. His name is Matt and he's he's our baker. Um, and pastry chef in my right hand in the restaurant and he makes monkey bread so every more every Never day when, he makes monkey bread so every day he'll make it the night before it's become our tradition so when we're when we're preparing the meal together we always have a uh, monkey bread What so is monkey bread? It's monkey bread said, um, is like the it's like the scraps of like sweet dough so of brioche uh-huh. um, and you coat it in caramel and you bake it in a loaf and you slice it it's kind of like oh, it sounds like, a, amazing. like a like a like a yeah it's it's like it's it's great it's like a cinnamon bun but without it. the yeah.
0: With some ice cream I would imagine oh, perfect. some salt. Absolutely yeah, perfect. Sounds good. yeah sounds good sounds great I'm getting hungry again. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) So that's the typical... I mean, does that override what happens on christmas or do, is that more special to most people most Americans? I, th- I
1: think so you know i mean i'm worth we're, we're everything's driven by food in our family yeah. i mean it's just it's just it is what we do travel is driven by food you know I, I probably sent my wife five pictures of my dinner tonight and that's more interesting than anything you know it's just what, what does she we, say it's just what does she, she think? oh she wishes she was here yeah. you're kidding she's jealous so <laughs> you know it's it's really you know to be able to have a meal together and sit down and, and not have to worry about other things is yeah. really what it's all about. And um, so we look forward to that. Christmas is my favorite. My son's favorite food in the world is octopus. Um, he's nine and uh, for it's Christmas? been his favorite food. It's been his favorite food <laughs> for since he was probably three. As soon as he could tell us it was his favorite food. And so we asked him last year, what he wanted for a Christmas dinner. And he said, octopus. So from now on starting two years ago, Every Christmas we do an octopus and they have, and, and he has it as like a, a, you know, when most people are eating like nuts and things on Christmas, he's yeah. eating octopus. I'm not so. sure
0: what Sander would have to say And if about I asked that. him
1: if he wanted it for Thanksgiving, he would say yes. So <laughs> I, we just stay away from that because my wife's like, no, no octopus on Thanksgiving. It has to, you know, it has to be turkey.
0: <laughs> it reminds me when I was a kid, we went used to go away with my parents when I was very small to a, to a hotel, I think it was in, in Cornwall actually, not far from where your wife's from. And uh, they used to have something on the menu called Solomon's PF, mm. which was like a, a, a rice with sultanas and raisins oh, wow. and all that Amazing. sort of stuff. Yeah. And apparently they said that's all over eight. Every, every meal time we used to come down, that's all over wanted. <laughs> well, I mean, else. that
1: just goes to show you, yeah. I mean, you know, the melting pot of where we're all from, you know, and food sort of drives those traditions. And I, I would bet money that, that our son will be eating octopus every Christmas probably until he's that's, my age That's You're going to laugh you know, at that one years down cool. the line. That's yeah. Good.
0: yeah, very good. Yeah. So you're here in London. Uh, I don't think you're here for very long. It's a bit of a whistle-stop tour, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. We're, so you only arrived this afternoon yep. when we met you. We had a nice walk around Rotherhithe. You picked up some of the history of yeah, and traditions of the, where the Mayflower set sail from. We had a lovely roast Sunday yeah, lunch. Amazing. Upstairs in the Mayflower. What did you think of that?
1: I loved it. I mean, yeah. again, it's it's it was like the food was, I thought, just exactly how you'd eat at home. Like when I cook at home, I try not to over-season things. I try not to like – I don't want my palate to go crazy. I want like just wholesome, delicious dinner, and 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 that's what it was. You know, it was it was. I think it was perfectly done, yeah. in my opinion.
0: I think I'm, the current Master Chef guys would call that a crowd pleaser. It's, yeah, and the, you
1: know the thing is, is you know, there's nothing wrong with that. No. You know what I mean? It's okay. Good,
0: good, wholesome, honest. Yeah, I think that's a That's, that, that's
1: about being mature and ego, and just like it's okay sometimes. Yeah.
0: It was great. So what are your plans? After, are you staying in London tomorrow? Are you traveling from here? We,
1: we travel uh, a little bit tomorrow. We have a cooking demo in the morning and then we go to Birmingham mm-hmm. and we have a dinner tomorrow night. Uh, we have some amazing sous chefs that are obviously helping uh, us ahead a little bit. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to getting in the kitchen and, and cooking. And I think, you know, for me, traveling and cooking is really important. Every time we travel as a family, we always try to stay in a place where we can cook because for me, being able to go to the markets and, 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 you know, sort of the practice what you preach, you know, I want to be able to cook the things that I see, not just eat them in restaurants. And, and so I'm excited to get in the kitchen.
0: Mm. I bet you are. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast and to meet you. Yeah, and thank you. For you Thanks to come over me. to our uh, our fair city, of course. Of uh, course. Yeah, I hope you enjoy it. You, you're not, not going to have a chance to take in any sights, particularly. No, you're too, you're no. Be I think we'll working. have a little
1: bit of time about a week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to be we're going to be working pretty good here for about a week, and then we'll have some time. I think next Saturday afternoon. So you, you'll have to
0: come time. back another t- another occasion. Yeah, for sure. Do you Definitely. have any friends and family over here?
1: Uh, actually, my wife has has uh, some college friends, some roommates from college uh-huh. that, that live here. Um, so she's, I know she's triangling to try to see if we can at least say hello. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I can say hello while I'm here, but uh, yeah, so we'll see.
0: Well, if not them, next time you're here, give us a shout and For I'll, sure. I'll show you the sights and sounds the sounds and some of the restaurants that we, we like to frequent. Perfect. But uh, no, it's been a, a pleasure and a privilege to have you over here. So enjoy the rest of your Mayflower 400 uh, trip. I will. Thank and, you so much uh, for having me. We'll, we'll watch out for you. Sounds your great. You're always in Maine. We'll Take talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I'm delighted to have on the podcast today, uh, none other than Jerome Grant, the second of our top executive chefs flown in, specially for our, delectation and delight all the way from the state. So, welcome to the podcast, Jerome. Awesome. Thank you for having me. No, not at all. It's a pleasure to have you. And you must be exhausted because you've been at it. You've
2: flown in today, haven't you? Yes. Flown in this morning. Um, a little delay on the plane, but, you know, it, it
0: made for uh, additional rest. Where, where did you come in from? Uh, Washington, D.C. Okay. And the flight is five, six, six uh, seven, six, seven, six, seven, eight hours. Seven, eight hours. Okay. Wow. They flew from, I just remember actually today hearing on the news, they flew the first plane to go from london to australia today really we yesterday non-stop oh, without wow. stopping which was a ridiculous flight was, i don't know 19 hours or something stupid yeah yeah i think it was just a, a tri- trial flight. On, yeah. <laughs> a little, little yeah. too long to be on a man it, it's an experiment i think to see how, the, <laughs> how these humans react to uh sleep deprivation <laughs> so we, we won't keep you too long because i know you must be exhausted but you're here as part of this diplomacy What do we call it? I forgot what we called it already. Uh, Culinary Diplomacy (laughs) Program. Culinary Diplomacy uh, Program project, which is put on in conjunction with or put on by the uh, American Embassy over here in London. And they brought over from the States two of their finest, (laughs) finest chefs, of which you are one, to partake in the program of, which is to celebrate the 400 years of the Mayflower, um, setting sail from where we were earlier today, the Mayflower and the Rotherhithe. Exactly. Uh, And then to take you around the sites of England and the route that the, uh, our forefathers took before they uh, set sail and landed in uh, America. So let's just get a bit of a background about you, first of all. How did you get into chefing and cooking? Because you, you're a multi-award winning, talented chef. So um, where did you learn all your skills from?
2: Well, it all started off, you know, with my mother and my grandmother, you know, the, 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 the backbones of our family, always watching them cook, always enjoying a meal with them. I um, always just wanted to be around them. And I always had this fascination with just cooking things and, and learning flavors. So I've always spent a lot of time with my mother and grandmother in the kitchen, and um, started working in a short order restaurant while I was in high school. kind of realized that I could make, you know, pretty decent money, but at the same time, I, I was doing something with my hands. And I really enjoyed that. Um, at the same time, I enjoyed the aspect that I was providing a meal for somebody that, on the other end, they didn't know who I was or anything like that. but. I knew that meal meant something to them, whether it was like the nourishment
0: they needed that day, or maybe it was something that was comforting to them. So you enjoyed seeing the end product, the end result that you were achieving, the the satisfaction that somebody else was getting from your hard work. Exactly, because
2: that's the same thing that I chase. you know, within a meal. Of course it was always to make sure it was tasty, but just Uh something that was just gonna be very nourishing to me, you know, both mind and body.
0: So what what is your heritage? What, what what are the what are the the culinary sort of background? Uh, so you? I was born
2: in the Philippines. Um, my mother's from the Philippines, and um, my my father's side of the family they're Jamaican. Um, at the same time, my stepfather who raised me, he's from Hampton, Virginia. So I I got to grow up with these these very different cultures, but at the same time uh, have the foods you know of them you know. So I'd spend my summer with my grandmother where it was a lot of Jamaican food you know. A lot of uh, braised oxtails and curries. But, you know, with my mother, when she would cook, it was like a lot more, you know, Filipino dishes your chicken adobos, your
0: synagogue, you know, bit bitter melon. Well, sorry, so, to the uninitiated Londoner that day, also, there's a chicken adobo. <laughs> what uh, is that? So, it was a, it's kind of like a, it's a braised soy sauce chicken.
2: Uh-huh. Um, you Sounds know, every nice. kid enjoys it soy sauce, a little bit of vinegar, some peppercorn, bay leaf, and chicken, just slow braise it. Sounds nice. Uh, serve it over rice. Just, yeah. you know, good, wholesome, comforting food. And um, then my, you know my, my 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 stepfather taught me you know a lot about Southern food, taught me how to fry chicken for the first time, taught uh-huh. me you know how to make mashed potatoes. So I, I had these 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 different types of folks around me that taught me you know the different foods that they grew up with. At the same time, you know while my father was in the military, we traveled a lot, so it had me you know moving to different regions of the United States of America where I was shown different types of foods that were local, that were grown there, that were seasonal there, but also different types of dishes based on the population of the folks there at the mm. same time mm. too.
0: Is regionality of food a big thing in the States? We um, probably-
2: yes, I think it's a big thing. It's definitely an important thing to the identity of what American food is and what it does and what what, what we have available.
0: Mm. So what was your first step on the journey to become a professional chef?
2: Working as a short order cook in a restaurant, uh, flipping burgers, making pizzas, um, understanding you know how kitchens operate. Then after that, um, I took as many uh, food oriented classes throughout high school, Um, whether it was home ec one, two, three, um, international cuisines, like just started to really start to learn a little bit more about food. And then I went to culinary school. Um, I went to culinary school in Pittsburgh for a couple of years, um, did that and then just started traveling, went wherever my, my knife would take me. And whatever opportunity was was available for me. So, so, what does that
0: mean in reality? Does that mean you, you you'd apply for a job, and if that was out out of state, you 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 yep. go there and take the job? Yeah. And, so, I, and move you
2: know, on. after I got out of culinary school, one of my first jobs I took down in Vero Beach, Florida, working at a, a high end country club. Uh-huh. Starting off in the beach house, working as a prep cook, then officially moving over to the line and doing some catering work there. Um, I moved back home for a little while. Um, started working for a corporate caterer, learning the ins and outs of corporate catering at a at an early time in my career and um took the leap a buddy of mine moved out to Saint Croix um was working at a beach resort was like man you want to come down here and be a cook and you know I could help you out and help help teach you some things and I was like all right no problem pack my knives up and moved to St Croix um worked at a beach resort down there you know busting my butt working the line and kind of lucked up and they fired the chef and I was super young and they were like uh well why don't you come on as a chef and my buddy who was the food and beverage director he was like you know, I'll teach you how to operate a kitchen. I'll, I'll teach you the finances of a kitchen. You know, you'll teach yourself how to cook. Uh-huh. And you'll develop your own thought about how you approach food. But I can teach you the business side of it. So just start running from there.
0: So how old were you when this opportunity came? 21, 22. That is young, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Pretty young.
2: But, you know, it was a lot of 14, 16-hour days. A lot of long weeks.
0: Scary. But, were you confident in your own ability to, to make well, it a success? Well, I, I think I was just
2: comforted by the fact that I was in my element, like I enjoyed being in the kitchen. Mm. So that gave me a lot of confidence, but at the same time, you know, I knew that there was gonna be a lot of hurdles and a lot of things that I had to learn. And I think the fact that, you know, I was already 2000 miles away from home, like I had no choice but to perform. Mm. So I kind of put that pressure on myself earlier and it was just something that, you know, it was just the junk that was added onto the list that I had to deal with, but I still had to push forward.
0: You guys have gotta be so self-motivated, haven't you, and disciplined in your approach to cooking. Because and it's such a tough gig. it's a it's a
2: very physical uh gig, but <laughs> at the same time you also have to be uh you have to be unselfish because what you're trying to achieve is something that you're not really trying to achieve for yourself. Mm. You're trying to really achieve that for the person that you don't know that comes into this restaurant. So you're giving all of yourself, you're giving all of your time to make sure somebody has a great experience, you know? And that's the tough thing. Um, you know, a lot of holidays that you know I've missed, but at the end of the day, it was to make sure that somebody else had a, a better holiday than I did. Yeah. But it it shows you how much that we appreciate the service industry and we appreciate you know truly what we do. You know, to me, it's not like submitting papers and it's just like, well, it's either they're gonna understand it or not. It's like, nah, like you know, we have this person that's coming in and dine with us. They've brought their family and this is a very special time in their life while they're here. So, I need to add to that you know perfect snapshot. You know, mm-hmm. I need to be that additional piece that. Resonates with them. So later on down the road, when they're thinking about that one time in their life when they had this great experience, they'd bring up the time that they sat down and had a meal with us.
0: Do you think that's what separates the really good, the excellent chefs from the sort of uh, the journeyman pros? That, th- that understanding, that wanting to understand the, the total experience of the customer.
2: Well, there's different facets of cooking, and then and everybody has their 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 different paths, right? Sometimes you know it's about just having that perfect dish that has that perfect bite to it and that's for certain folks you know for me that's what my goal was was to make sure that I've added the experience to somebody and that I've been able to educate them coming into the cafe you know that's just my personal my my personal lane that I've kind of gotten into and that's really helped me just grow as a culinarian
0: mm. So the cafe you're referring to is this Home Sweet Cafe. Yes. Yeah. So tell us about how you got in into that and what it is exactly, because it's not your regular cafe, is it?
2: No. <laughs> so I've gotten to museum dining in the past ten years. I started working at the American Indian Museum um, as a sous chef and then came back and became the chef, the chef there. And so, so where where is that the American? The American Indian, Indian Museum in Washington DC. Okay. So right down the street from where that African American museum is. Uh-huh. And it was just about you know learning a lot about the culture and learning a lot about the food behind it and showing showcasing that culture's food ways through the lens of them so at the same time what we've done is we've built these great cafes but we've made them more as edible exhibits so it continues to tell that story it's a continued showpiece. it's a continued information center you know it's just not a place where you go down and get chicken tenders like there's a lot more to it and we want to be a part of that ultimate museum experience so you know you're not missing a beat wherever you go in a museum it's like you know i'm going to these galleries but i've also gone to this cafe to learn about food from this culture and from these folks
0: so can you give an example of how, how there is this sort of quasi sort of educational side to the cooking that you're, you're providing as well yep so you know in
2: our cafe we have things kind of uh, following the migration of african americans you know looking at the creole coast as the entry point moving up to the northern states as um a migration up north via underground railroad and then, you know, our Western range, which is like, you know, more of the westward expansion after slavery was abolished. And then our ag south, which is like, you know, good comfort food. Mm-hmm. So we're telling, we're showcasing the areas of migration of African-Americans and showcasing food from those areas and also showing the, uh, the regional foods. So how, and a recipe could be adapted from old times, but since they've migrated over here, they had different things that were readily available to them, how they've been able to adapt or or become so
0: resilient and still be able to produce the food that they're doing now. Hmm. So how long have you been in this um, sweet home cafe now? Three years now. Okay. And how many covers do you do a day roughly? Is that um, talking we do about?
2: anywhere between 500 to 2,500 wow. people a day and okay. 500 is like a
0: a dastardly slow day. Yeah. You know, we don't have too many of those. So your sort of corporate catering, catering experience gave you a good, uh, exactly. good grounding in this. Well, between that and as well
2: as a, a lot of my a la carte restaurant work, because ultimately you know, you have these a la carte ideas, you want to be able to present this as a la carte possible as possible, but you know that you're performing, you're providing for X amount of guests. So how do you get these small plate and these one pot or small batch ideas together to be able to feed the masses? And that's like, you know, the the trick part. And we've been able to really get on top of that and focus on quality and, and, and focus on not losing integrity of the food that we're putting mm.
0: out. And do you design the menu yourself or... It
2: was well. we've had a big collaboration, you know, with the building of our cafe. We've had a lot of folks that, that come in that, like our corporate executive chef. We've had uh, Dr. Jessica Harris, the, the folks of the museum. Um, we've done many, you know, tastings with them. So it's just a big uh,
0: it's been a big collaborative effort. D- does it evolve over time? You keep oh, changing yes. and elaborating? We, we, we definitely
2: keep things as you know seasonable as possible. Mm. We highlight new stories to tell, but also try to coincide with what's going on as far as like seasonal festivals and, and seasonal offerings. So we always have something going on.
0: So as I said at the beginning, we're here because, you, well, you're here because of the Mayflower 400 sort of celebrations that are a year-long series of events in three, four countries, uh, all told. What are you hoping to achieve and pick up from your travels? I'm going to be very London-specific, London, but also the UK in generally. What What are you looking to, to gain and, and learn from culinary wise? Um, I just want to
2: learn like, you know, a lot more of the techniques, a lot more of the foods that are available and, the, and the, the cooking styles and methods and just see, you know, just see that, that influence, you know, there's so much that you can learn about people through food. And I want to understand those underlying stories and, and hear those, uh, those stories behind them.
0: Yeah. What did you think of the lunch you had today at the Mayflower? The Sunday, Sunday good. roast. I thought it was pretty good. I yeah. mean, it, it was exactly what it was a Sunday roast. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not a tradition in uh, in the states is it particularly no um
2: well depending on you know certain families will have like you know their 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 sunday dinners in their house where you know you might see you know fried chicken and things like yeah. that or you know it's just every family has a different tradition mm. and that's the great thing about what we have in the states as far as what makes up our food
0: yeah no, absolutely and in terms of thanksgiving do you how do you celebrate thanksgiving
2: so you know i i traditionally i Generally, cook for my family. My aunt Teresa comes up and helps also, so she takes care of a lot of desserts. So you'll things like you'll see things like sweet potato pie, cheesecakes, pecan pies on the table. Um, with my family being so diverse, you know we definitely have a turkey. You know we have braised collard greens. Turkey is
0: the staple, I think, yeah. right across, isn't it? Everyone.
2: Depending on you know the mood of the year, maybe I'll smoke it, maybe we'll fry it. Like it just depends. Then all of a sudden you'll see dishes from my mother like lumpia, which are little uh, Filipino style egg rolls. So I have things like curry curry, which is like, you know, just super tasty. It's just, she has all these, we have all these different types of things at our table. And that's what kind of makes us up. You know, that's what makes our family,
0: you know, just. Does everyone chip in or is it you do? They all say, well, you're the cook, you get on with it. Well, <laughs> I do the majority of it. You know,
2: everybody will do something, but you know, I, I end up cooking the majority of them. Like,
0: and you let family. them do all the washing up. Oh yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. That's uh that's whiskey time for
0: me. <laughs> whiskey so. time. Put your feet out. There's normally a yeah, good game on is there back, as well yeah. over Thanksgiving. So I, I was asking uh, Justin before, does this supersede? Is this a, a superior occasion? shall we say to Christmas, or is Christmas secondary, or is it, are they on an even sort of playing field? I think they're on an even sort
2: of playing field, but you know thanksgiving wise, it means a lot for the simple fact that you could bring together everybody and just be thankful. Hmm. Have a meal and just be thankful you know versus where it's uh, Christmas and you're gifting, I guess. yeah.
0: And is there an appreciation when're you're, when you're having a Thanksgiving meal? of the, the history of it and where it comes from? Yes,
2: yeah. definitely. It's just, you know, hearing those stories, is it goes hand in hand with what's going on at our dinner table.
0: Do you, is there storytelling that goes on or you just sit down and get on with it and just start? A little bit. I
2: mean, you know, for us, it's always uh, stories of like Thanksgiving past. With fa- family, stories, family yeah. stories and things like yeah. that. Because it's difficult to get your family together at one time, you mm-hmm. know? If you look at the times that you've, you know, at least for my family, because we're always on the move, like I count how many times that we really have a family meal at a dinner table at home on one hand mm. per year, you know, and it's always like around these holidays. So you cherish those moments and you cherish that time to just have the, the, the banter that you, that you don't
0: have too often. Hmm. And what happens to your restaurant on Thanksgiving? Is oh, we're it, is, still open. You're still open. Yes. And you're still working on that day. I'll be working this year. We trade off every other year. Right. So what do you do? You have a Thanksgiving in the restaurant and the yep. cafe and then you come so, home? And-
2: well, we actually we provide Thanksgiving take home meals also. So you get a meal from us where actually I give you instructions. You just pop in the oven and finish it off and it feeds your family of six, eight or however many. Um, as well as we have a designated uh, station just for Thanksgiving in the cafe. That stays open until about 5.30.
0: And does the cafe get involved in community work as well? Yep. D- so uh, for every 20 meals that we sell, we we give one out to a family in need. So where are you going from here then tomorrow? Because I know you you haven't got much time in London, have no. you particularly? You're I think I'm going, to ed- up to I'm Birmingham. going to, Yep, Birmingham tomorrow. And then yeah. Edinburgh.
2: Edinburgh. Yeah. yeah, all sorts of places. So. <laughs> you look
0: exhausted before you've even started. <laughs> yeah.
2: But, you know, I'm excited to see it. I'm excited to see as much of a... Of the UK as possible, and just you know, meet people
0: and hear stories. Yeah. Well, I won't keep you any longer, because I can see you're starting to flag a bit. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. So uh, thank you very much indeed. It's been an absolute treat to have met you and to participate in the lunchtime yes, at, uh, at the Mayflower. And hope you hope you enjoyed your experience. I the, definitely enjoyed. In a 15th, 16th century pub, there's not too many of those in America. Not at all. <laughs> not at all. Right on the right on the Thames. Uh, so it's, it's really great to meet you. Thank you. And it's I hope pleasure. you enjoy your time uh, on the Mayflower 400 Trail and take back lots of good uh, good stories. Awesome, thank you. Thank you very much. Nice to see you. Every week here at Your London Legacy, we bring straight to your device a new and fascinating guest with a wonderful London-based story. We hope you enjoy listening to their timeless stories as much as we enjoy creating them for you. If so, the best way to show your appreciation is to subscribe to the show. Simply go to www.yourlondonlegacy.com and pop your name and email in the box where shown. That way, you'll never miss another episode. Thank you for your support.